0: Welcome to the 90's Club Footy Podcast. This week we are chatting with former Geelong Cat, Paul Brown. Paul played a total of 84 games in the Blue and White Hoops between 1990 and 1998. During his early years he was part of a forward line that featured Gary Ablett Senior, Billy Brownless and Barry Stoneham before spending the latter part of his career as a defender. Paul featured in the Cats grand final losses in 1994 and 1995. In this episode, he speaks about playing with the great Gary Ablett Senior, the grand final disappointments, his injury battles, and some of the great Cats characters. So sit back, relax, and enjoy my chat with Paul Brown. Paul yep. Brown, thanks for being a part of the '90s Club Footy Podcast. Really appreciate your time. Great to uh, to catch up with
1: you. Thanks, Hilly. Going to your trend, it's good. Touch and base, and mate, great era of football. So not a bad little thing you've come up with, I reckon. Well done. What are you doing post footy? What are you doing with yourself? Post footy, so I'm up in Chuka. Up oh, in Chuka. That's where I was. That's where I started my footy. But I'm up in she- I say Shepparton. I live in Marutna, so Shep is one big municipality and um, post footy I uh, I bought a business up here um, which was a clothing and embroidery and a trophy and engraving centre and um, was a great little business here in in Shep and that was back in 2003 um, well, I ended up working at the footy club doing player welfare when I finished playing for four years but just realised I needed a break from footy got into the business, come up here, uh, married a girl from this area, so I met her from my days at Ichuka. and yeah, settled here, had a couple of kids in Geelong, um, added a couple of boys when I got here, and have been here for, geez, it's 18 years, I think now, yeah, got a little, got a little coffee van at the moment, mate, running around, doing coffees and hanging shit on people, really.
0: Mate, I love it, and uh, a mutual friend of ours tells me that you do make a great coffee, but you're also a very good impersonator and uh, oh, might uh, jump on the airways of uh, radio up in Shepparton
1: every now and then. <laughs> well, um, we'll get to that a bit later. I'll get a bit, I've got to get to know you, mate, all right, before I can start throwing in a few, a few of my characters I used to run on local radio, yes, so it was good fun times, yep. <laughs> what do you back on the footy, yeah.
0: <laughs> Were you sort of uh, like that at the footy club as well, mate? Were you sound like to me, you know, we've only sort of just spoken for the last five minutes, but you sound like yeah. a bit of a jokester and like a good time. Uh, were you like that, yeah, you know, during your footy time at uh, the cats?
1: Not really. So many people say that. And um look, I think I probably didn't have much of a filter, and I've always probably look, growing up with blokes like Billy Brownless and um well, Paul Couch, you know, there's a few blokes there. There's a, even Andrew Buse back in the day, young old Busey. He was a ripper for cracking crack gags. But I always had the theory that you had to back it up and being able to play. I probably was in-house, but not as much as I would have been now. I let a few things slip, I must say, over the years, because there were some good gags that went around the locker room, which we could talk about. Busey was the king. He Old Captain Busey taught us how to, how to trick a few, which I've, yeah, there's one really good one that I'll tell you about that he played on someone. Yeah.
0: I love it. We'll catch up with that very soon. But, mate, I want to yeah. start from the start. How would you make yeah. your way to the Cats? I know you're from Machuka. How would you make your way down to yeah. Geelong?
1: So I missed the draft. The draft started, I think it was about 86, 87, I think. I played a game with Geelong in the under-19s as a 16-year-old. That registered me with Geelong. So I had to make a decision when I was – I'd started an apprenticeship as electrician, I had to make a decision to go to Geelong or go in the draft. And um, I decided to go to Geelong because at the time, David Cameron was there. Um, Andy Preston had just finished there. So a couple of old boys. I played footy with Shane Hamilton um, through juniors. He was there. So I just decided that that was the place I wanted to go and have a crack at footy. It was the same day I left to go play footy. I got a letter to go and try cricket at Essendon the old man would probably say I was better at cricket than footy, but it was just the way the cards fell. It fell, and I headed off to Geelong as a 17-year-old um, turning 18.
0: That first day of, uh, you know, when you went to the club and pre-season, when you're running around with the likes of Ablett, Hocking, Couch, Best, yeah. Stone, and like, what was that like?
1: Yep. It's pretty, uh, after you play a few games, because another one, you know, Mark Yates, you know, you're running, I'm running around the twos with Mark Yates, Damian Drum, Marty Christensen, you know, there's a few blokes that have played quite a bit of senior footy. And I just remember sort of through 89, I knew I was doing the hard yards. We played in the reserve grand final that year and lost that. Um, I just thought, how am I going to get a game in this side? Because I was recruited as a forward. I was a six foot one centre forward from Ucheika. Um, But I think once you get down there, as you, as you get to better levels, the competition gets tougher. But I thought, how hey, am I going to get a game in this side? And I suppose I just persisted and was lucky to get a couple of breaks, but being six foot one, you know, you got the great Gary Ablett, full forward. you got Barry Stone in centre, forward is six foot four, or five. Billy Brownless was the same. Um, I was, I probably, I wasn't considered a small forward at the time, but I would be now, definitely. And um, that's six foot one, whereas, uh, you know, six foot six midfielders now. Here's
0: Brown, kick by Paul Brown towards centre half forward. Brownless got underneath the ball, and...
1: I was reading the other night, Branny, that you made your debut
0: in 1990. So it just got me thinking, what was the pre-season like of 1990 and, and what was the feel like with the club? Obviously, Geelong were part of that famous 89 grand final, went down by six points. You know, What was the attitude, yeah. the focus and the drive like during that pre-season?
1: Yeah, definitely. It was pretty exciting because it was Blighty's first year, Malcolm Blight's first year as well. And to get him to a grand final the first year, you could obviously see they had the cattle. And um, they certainly did, like with the names that you said, you know, Casper Bairstow, Hocking, playing in the midfield. And it's interesting, um, you know, they probably de- we probably deserved to win one that time. I played in two of them, which was 94-95, um, one under Blighty, one under Gary Ayres. Um, you know, you look back, there's reasons why I can see we haven't, we probably didn't win one during that time. And then... You know, Blighty did go on to win some at Adelaide, but I think he might have changed his coaching philosophy a little bit then, too. His philosophy was whoever kicked the most goals wins. Mm. Yeah, and very I, tacky and track you might remember oh, not in 1989, like we had front row seats playing reserves. We'd go in, come out, and watch, and they'll kick in 30 goals plus in the wet on, you know, suburban grounds in those times. The grounds weren't as pristine as they were now. They still had cricket pitchers in the middle and Cats best though. hocking run to muck in the middle and big Damien Burke and Darren Flanning in the ruck and Gazett at full forward. And I think Timmy Darcy was holding down full back and a few young blokes straight in there. It was a pretty formidable side when you look back at it for sure.
0: You played 13 games in your first two years, and as you said, you sort of were recruited as a as a forward and no doubt yep. hard, Ablett, Billy, Stoneham in there. Yep. You know, what did you have to do? Or, you know, what what was the sort of the message from the coaches? To, to you to try and get a crack in there, you know, obviously against a, a forward line with already bulked with, you know, three great players.
1: Yeah. Well, Trent, you've probably the male the nail on the head there, but the coaches, you really didn't get feedback in those days. Um, I was probably never really taught. There was one year that I, I did kick 38 goals in the first, I'd say 10, 11 games one year. And it was probably the year that, Gazza Gaza pulled the boots one year and didn't. And basically retired. Mm. I reckon Billy kicked 80 goals. I kicked 38. Robert Scott kicked 30-odd. I reckon there was someone else who kicked a few. Um, we probably shared it around a bit, um, and that would have been – I reckon it was probably – it could have been 99. No, it was 91, I reckon. Um, so looking back at then, and I just think opportunities, like um, – you know, I was recruited as a forward. Blighty was an old-fashioned coach, and that's where I was where Whereas you look at, you know, as he come along. I played a bit in the twos with him, and I must have been playing a bit of back line. And as he just said, you know, stick at it, and um, I'll give you a run on the halfback flank. So I ended up, of my 84 games, I reckon I played 50-plus off a halfback flank or back pocket. And um, that was just Ayers' insight and probably saw something in me that Blighty wasn't or wasn't. Told what to do. Bloody did his own thing. Don't worry about yeah. that. You'll get to it a bit later, but you might have heard that my son Tom got recruited to Richmond. Yeah, yeah from Brown and everyone says, well, didn't you play enough games, Brownie? I said, well, you fucking ring up Malcolm Blight and tell him,
0: no, I didn't play enough games because he didn't, he wouldn't play me. So it was simple as that. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I, I'll, I'll talk to you about Tom later on, but I was disappointed the Cats didn't get him. I would have liked a, uh, the Brown name to continue at the Catland, but yeah. we'll get to that yeah. a little bit later. Hey, I want For to ask sure. you, so when you're playing in the ones and you're playing in that yep. front line and, you know, whether Ablett and Billy or Stone or whatever the combination is there, and I'm probably more. Focusing on Gaza here. Yeah. So, what's the message for your role in that forward line? Is it to get, to keep out of Gaza's way, you know, or is it to go and get your own? Yeah. CB, what was sort of the message
1: that was conveyed to you? Yeah, well, it was. Um, look, it's really interesting because there wasn't as much science to footy in those early nineties, and I reckon the change the change came when I, you know, in the late probably nineties, early two thousands. You know, Bomber Thompson's the best coach I've ever heard, and the way he teaches players—he he teaches players how to think. And back then, I just think because Gaza was so good. You know when you—you you know when you hear kids growing up, and they and their dad, parents might say they don't kick it to him. Mm. And I argue with those people because we—I had it firsthand with Gary Ablett, and the reason Gaza got it so often because he was the fastest by a mile, he was the strongest by a mile, like. So Couchy, Bear Star and Knocking were pretty good kicks of the footy. And the side was a pretty good kick of the footy anyway. So when Gaz is leading out and he's 10 meters in front, if you, you only had to put it, actually, like we used to say you'd put it 20 meters in front or 20 meters behind, he'd still get it because he was so powerful and so quick. <laughs> so he, in the end, yeah, yeah, once he used to tell you to move out because he had space, but also you got out of his frigging way because he killed it. He well, he nearly killed Dipper in the 89 grand final. He's clear and he he finished Wayne Johnson's career. He broke his collarbone and finished his career in the pocket. at Chelong one day. And what that hit on Gastev
0: as well? That one sort of... Oh, that one, one, yes, one, that Gastev hit was bloody hard.
1: Yes. He retired the year after that. Yep. Yeah. Stuff that. Don't stand under the ball. If you want to stand under the ball, Gazra will move you. He will move you on. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. So we got out of the wire. So there wasn't real... There wasn't any real instructions. It was just... I suppose all those good full, full forwards, you figure Dunstall, Lockett and Ablett, um, you know, that was the dominant part of the game. And, yeah, you look for them because they are probably so strong and, and quick off the mark, yeah. Yeah, yeah
0: there you go. Hey, yeah. I want to ask you about the 92 season, Brownie. It was a breakout yeah. season for you and the fact that you played 24 games. I think you might have missed the first one and – uh, and yeah. you wind up in two finals out of that twenty-four. You know what was the catalyst behind your form that season? Was it a really good preseason? Was it uh, you know a sit-down with uh, Blighty or assistant coaches and sort of going, you know, this is a, a, a season where we could see you really benefiting, and obviously having that couple of years of experience in yeah. this. Yeah, it
1: was. Um, do you know what, mate? Let's reveal it. So again, no sitting down with coaches. You just you just went and your game. That's how you're recruited too. Um, but I played every game in 1992. I was a Kick at to Geelong, mate, so I don't think I missed the first game, but I missed – I played every game except the preliminary final and grand final. I kept a diary that year and it was about 35 games in a row, if you include pre-season games. Yeah. And I think I was shot, but what happened too going into those finals was we must have lost one of them. But he uh, bloody brought back blokes like Steve Hocking and I reckon – Neville Bruns and who was the other one? Might have even been Busey. He brought back the old wise heads yep. in '92. And you know, upon reflection now, and you know the game's moved on, some young blokes might have actually been better at the time. Like Shane Hamilton. I don't know whether '89. Shane Hamilton had a sensational final series in '89. Like mate, if you can find him, if I could find him too, I'd love to catch up with the old boy. But he got moved on to Brisbane at the time, but there were some bloody good young players around the time, but you know, Bloody was the the man at the time and he called the shot, so um, it was a breakout year. I just think so. that might have been on the back of my 38 goals and they probably thought here's an opportunity to you know, I'd love to have it in front of me the year that Gazza missed. Maybe it was 92 that he missed
0: and I kicked 38 goals in 92 and Billy kicked 80. I can't remember. Uh, I reckon it was 91, no, Gazza. 91 Gazza. Yeah. He missed about Righto. 10 games and I reckon it was, yeah, 92. Yeah. I, I, that's why I'm saying breakout year. I think it was 92 You're when playing, I was yeah. up that you you kicked, I reckon the first eight or nine games you had bags of fives and
1: sixes and yeah, yeah kicking a heap of goals. I was on fire, jumping on blokes' heads, mate, and then it gets all—it gets cut out of your trip. <laughs> <laughs> Can I ask you
0: honestly, Brandy? Like you would have been pretty, pretty devastated. Would have thought, mate, to play all that year—you know, pre-season, all the home and away. You've played the first two finals, and then obviously you miss out in that prelim and the grand final. That, yeah, that must have hurt. No, nah, not at all, Trent. <laughs> it's really?
1: funny, isn't it? No. And I think you know what? I think. Look, they're so aware of it now. And Me doing that player welfare role was probably able to help some kids along the way too was, um, as I said, I kept a diary that year and I remember it being, it was 33 or 35 games in a row and I was stuffed. I'd had enough, you know, and it was funny. It was I knew that my form had probably dropped off a bit and I could have gone in and probably gone, gone off me nut and told them that they were making the wrong decision, but, Again, the coach called the shots, mate. You didn't even get called whether you're in the side or out of the side back then. We used to watch the footy show. <laughs> that's, how, that's how isolated we were. Geez, so like times have changed, mate. Oh shit, yeah. That's that whole, and that I reckon that is. I, people say to me, and when I say the game changed, I was lucky in '98 to finish with a knee injury, been employed '99 to 2002 as player welfare and then did runner and a few other jobs. But that was when it changed. That's what, when it became professional. You know, I found my first contract and my, and my son and family laughed at it. I got paid $5,000 to play footy. Everyone thinks that footy was just this thing, this money pit. Yeah. Then you got paid per game. I reckon it was $700 a senior game, $250 a reserve game. But we played for the love of the game. We just wanted to play at the highest level and I was still working as an electrician
0: full-time. It was just just what it was. Yeah, I find that amazing. And I've done a few other guests in season one and they were sort of saying, you know, like, you know, you just had to work extremely hard and obviously, you know, you're you're doing even even more because, you know, you're playing that high level of footy and you've, uh, you know, training your trainings and obviously game day
1: and stuff. So, like, by the end of the year, when the footy
0: season finishes, you're bloody stuffed.
1: Yeah, that's right. It's a, it's pretty drawn out. It, but but you know what? In saying that too, I then go back and say, look, I don't regret a thing because we only trained. Really, we trained Tuesday Thursdays. Bloody um, brought in uh, two o'clock training day once a week, and he that philosophy was good because that's what time we played. So let's train on a, a Tuesday night at uh, a Tuesday afternoon instead of under lights. Um, train Tuesday afternoon at two o'clock when we start. Um, did we train as we played? We used to have to all wear our socks up, and Blighty had great theories there, and everyone had to wear your socks up. And he wouldn't have been able—he couldn't. Airsy wouldn't have been able to get his um socks over his calves because he didn't have calves. He had cows <laughs> on the bottom of his legs. They were massive. <laughs> and um, but the theory was with Blighty with the socks up was because so he had the stops back then. If someone jumped on you and the stops hit you in the leg and it dragged the sock down, you're fine. But if you didn't have your socks up and it scratched your leg, that got infected, you missed a grand final, you're letting the side down. Yeah. Yeah, that's, and that's true to this day. Like he used to have all those little quirky philosophies that were
0: that made sense, but just left field. And that was bloody. Bloody was left field. <laughs> well, I had Kim Costa on from Adelaide and the Bulldogs in. season one. And he said that uh, exactly what you're saying there's some different philosophies and just basic things yeah. like the way you tie your shoes and having your socks up. Yeah. and all that sort the stuff with Yeah, he said that was what it was like in Adelaide during his yeah. reign.
1: And the same thing, because if yeah, if you tied your shoe like so you had that big knot in the middle on top, and you're in a grand final and you kick the ball, and it misses by that much because of that knot on top. Well, you've let the side down, mate. So tie them off to the side. Yeah, it was amazing little stuff. <laughs> <laughs> hey mate, i have just
0: wanted the last one on 92, because I just find it a
1: fascinating Keep season. Keep going.
0: You kick six goals in that historic game against Brisbane where the cats kicked the highest score ever in a in a game 37-17, 239. Yes. What
1: can you recall about that game? Um, just that. Looking back to changing philosophies, you know, when I talk about whoever kicks the most goals wins, we could have won a grand final if Couch Best and Hocking may have been a little bit defensive. But that was, but that was blighty. Like I've actually, and I went back after some blokes had sort of mentioned that, and I've seen the games, and no wonder we kicked. No wonder they were kicking thirty goals plus because blighty just backed our midfield I, but I do know that um I do know that David Parkin used to deliberately play Craig Bradley on Gary Hawking because he knew Gary Hawking wasn't defensive and he backed Craig Bradley which Craig Bradley was a gun player back then too as you know there you go there's one to find out Hilly. find out whether Parkin deliberately played yeah I'm sure it would have. someone have told me that because yeah. um Yeah, right. I
0: might try and face down Park and then uh, and ask it.
1: <laughs> yeah, there you go. And and so, you know, um it was it was just a pretty simple game. And that game, I kick see oh, yeah, I always say I kick lazy six, but they were all handballs over the top. <laughs> and I was on the goal line. But Gazza kicked nine playing on a wing. <laughs> um it was a phenomenal game. But that was the thing. It was just so free-flowing that it was like Uh, probably thinking back, it was probably like an under 14 or an under 12 game really because, but then you had Hutton who kicked 11 in the opposition like he um, but everyone, I think there was only 14 goal kickers there was 14 goal kickers on the day and the poor backman who got held, you know, Andrew Rogers playing fullback on Hutton, who kicked 11. He got, you know, he hears he about it now. Good old Buck Rogers. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, fantastic. But, but amazing game. Hey, yeah, mate,
0: yeah. one of my favorite seasons was the 1994 season. It just had so much, so many memorable moments. Um, yeah. You know, the final series had everything. It was Billy after the siren against the foot's yeah. grey. Carlton win, minus Buddha Mansfield County yesterday. Gaza after the the siren in the prelim. What a final
1: series to be a part of. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, that's when you knew. I reckon that was the time you sort of realised how hard they are to win, as in AFL Grand Finals and that window of opportunity that you get. And we did probably have four or five years of that opportunity and a bit of luck coming our way. But unfortunately and whether it's on the reflection of what I said about our midfielders and the style of play, but just how, you know, Gaza fired in that 89 grand final, and I only got to see part of that, but our guns didn't fire in a couple of them, did they? You know, we all, you know what, we went into each one of them thinking we were a chance. We never thought we weren't a chance because obviously you're defeated and, and we did lose a couple badly, but I think once the horses bolted and the teams got, like West Coast were too strong in, uh, 92 that I watched, then 94, and then Carlton were the same. They just had a year where shit, you know, they got Williams. Williams was there. I used to barry for Carlton as a kid, so I was in awe. Don't worry, I'm picking up Matt Clapper. Luckily, he was from West Coast, and we broke pretty even on the day in in uh, 95. But um, they were just they were just ready to go. Their time was there, and yeah, unfortunately, we couldn't we couldn't match it. I was just going to
0: ask you about 94 like that final series that you had like that was yeah. that was tough that was a tough final series was it a case at West Coast were just far too good after quarter time because I think it might have been a point in favor of the Cats at yeah. that time or was it you guys had already sort of peaked and played just
1: to get there and no good excuse Illy. <laughs> no <laughs> <laughs> I just think you yeah, you can you can those two because you're right I remember that That final where, yeah, so Couch and Hocking weren't playing and it was, you know, Aaron Lord got the best players. I think I might have – I think Sam Newman probably had me best on ground that day playing off a half-back flank and we – the younger blokes stood up and then, yeah, you know, you could probably say that could have been our grand final but then, you know, those three blokes come back and we should have been fresh as a daisy, ready to go and Mm. Gazza was doing left foot 60-metre goals against Essendon out at Waverley if I remember and – Oh, that could have been 92, but geez, you know, Gaza had some great final series and um, and that 99 grand final and we just needed him to kick a few more and a couple others. But yeah, yeah. then again, that's relying on one person, which we probably tended to do. You know, Billy Brown was would have been a, he's a legend as it is, just ask him, but um, he would have been a hundred goal kicker, I'm sure, year after year, if he'd had the chance to play full forward, no doubt.
0: Can I just ask you just about the 95 season, just with the grand yeah. final, and you know, I hate dwelling on these because, you know, you, you, you'd rather talk about it being good, winning, one, but, but <laughs> mate, I just want to ask you, like, you, you fell short in 89 and 92 and 94, yeah. just the build up and the lead up to the grand final, did you just, just stick to the routine that you had all year or did you try and change it up a little bit just to get away from, I guess, that external noise about you guys you know falling short the last hurdle was there any sort of change in preparation
1: no not really um because I, I think the philosophy was then is not to change things too much just because it's a grand final and i'm probably a bit of a believer in that you because you've got enough hype around it anyway um and our generation i suppose is a bit different you know whereas now with social media like everyone had to pull their weight in doing a bit of media through the 90s. Um whereas nowadays, you know, it is all targeted, you know, they they have a media manager. Now we haven't, we didn't have a media manager. We just have the football manager come up and say, you know, you'll talk to 3OW after the game or, yep. or no, it happened at that time. Can you go and talk to them? Can you go and talk to them? And um so and there was the psychological side of footy was still a little bit untapped. We had a psychologist um, who, you know, players needed from time to time. But that was part which has evolved in life. But that was something that had evolved in the 2000s for sure that, you know, but Mark Thompson was a pretty, he was a very good motivator within himself. And and I think the difference from coaching then is, yeah, Blighty coached the team, as he coached a team. But when Mark Thompson came along, and I was fortunate to spend a few years under him, is the players coach the team. He engaged the players and the players drove what happened. If there was problems within players, the players drove what happened, as you know, with Stevie J. Yep. There's plenty of stories there where those boys, you know, they, they were told to pull it. Even young Gary was asked to train harder and he did, he realised that he had to, to become the best player he could be. and. Um, just the generational change, I suppose, they're hilly, yeah, yeah, back in those finals. But we, you know, the 95, yeah, so yeah, probably back to psychologically, um, we could have been a little bit spent, but I don't know, I think, you know, Blighty Tortoise, and I remember playing grand finals with no sleep at all, you can always get through the next day without sleep. You'll you'll be stuck for the three, third and fourth day after you get no sleep, but you'll get through the next day without sleep, no worries. And I know I did in a couple of grand finals.
0: Round for Geelong. Cats will need to score home. We know the exhilaration and happiness winning, you know, any major prize or whatever it may be. But, and I've had a few guests where they've had that chance of winning a grand final, but I've never really spoken to anyone that's been in that grand final and hasn't had, and yeah. I guess has come out of it the other end and, and has lost. What was the feeling like, yeah. um, you know, from your point of view, you know, falling short those two years in a row, you know, knowing that you were so close, but I guess at the end of the day, so far away when it when
1: you look at the scoreline. Yeah, it's, um, that's a good one, Hilly, because 92 was my first one and I spent a bit of time on the bench in 92. Yep. And when you talk about psychology things, I remember sitting there thinking, I was going to be, and it's Cameron Mooney now, but I thought I'm going to sit here and not even get on the ground and have a premiership medal. And I thought, how good is this going to be? you know, to have a premiership medal, be called a premiership player, but I think that was probably the difference in generation is because we like I really, you know, played as a forward. I remember like when I was kicking a few goals, I reckon it was probably what's his name who come along and coach at Richmond. Um oh who he helped oh, his name just escaped me. Um who assistant coach with Azzy, uh, went on to coach Richmond. Yeah, he came along and I so I started to when I kicked those goals, I started to get better players playing on me, and there was never any real strategy on how to play them. And and it was only like Gary Pert, I remember playing on one game, and the attention, there was more attention, you know, to me then. So, you know, back to planning for games and then the end of games is there, there wasn't a real plan. Bloody might have had a plan when Yatesy cleaned up Dermot. <laughs> um, there might have been a few plans along the way, but I honestly think the devastation of losing was just really a disappointment, um, and probably a lack of not really knowing my role. How's that? You know, that's a bit of a slap in the face. I don't regret what happened because that's the way it was. Yeah. But I never probably quite knew my role within the team, and that's only what I've learned over the years being out of the game and being in that generation through the 90s.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, well, yeah. Said, well said. Hey, you retired in 98. I know injuries sort of come your way. Yeah. I think you did, uh, you know, you had a couple of knee injuries and, and so forth, and yeah. that was probably the end there. Was it Was it frustrating that last couple of years?
1: Yeah, it was. I um, Obviously, that's where I was probably hitting my straps at 26 years old, and I ruptured the patella tendon who – um, Michael Long did one, and Gary Bacchanara, when he slipped over in a final, he did the same thing. It's, uh, it's a tendon at the front of your knee that holds your lower leg up to your kneecap, and that snapped, and my kneecap flicked up halfway up my knee, and it was a rare injury, and there hadn't been many operations to it. So, and, again, back to the science of that generation, there, my recovery was pretty basic. It wasn't very specific. Um You know, I see blokes, I see, you know, kids doing one-legged squats and things, and I don't remember doing one-legged squats. It was just very generalised training and strength back in the legs, which I never really got. And then I wasn't able to sort of string, you know, weeks on end training, so it sort of held me back a bit. And so at 26, I hung in for two years, played two games in two years, and actually, funny story, when I was let go or offered the job to be welfare, was I went in, it was Ayersy and Alan McConnell, he was okay. assistant coach. Yeah. Went into the meeting. This is how it went, right? So I went in. It's the end of season meeting. I'm sitting there and I'm looking at Airsy, looking at Alan. I took the deep breath just before I spoke and I sort of hit the table with my palm and said, you blokes would want to have a good offer or I'm going elsewhere. And I was deadpan serious, right? <laughs> <laughs> They've looked at each other. I've pissed myself laughing. And we've just roared laughing. I said, righto, what am I doing? I said, if you think there's a role in footy for me, I love it. Grew up loving it, and um, consider me, consider me forward. And that's when I consider me forward. And that's when I did. They Stephen Wells came to me, and myself and Ronnie, Watt, coach of reserves, we were put in the same room, and I became probably the first full-time AFL welfare manager, had a specific role just to look after players, which is now called development managers within clubs. Yeah, yeah right. There you go.
0: Yeah. And that was a pretty interesting period for the Cats too, Brandy, because obviously, um, yeah. you know, we're, we're in a heap of debts. Uh, Colbert's gone. Yeah. Um, I guess a's he end up going to Adelaide. Bomber Thompson's yeah. jumped on board. Brian Cook's jumped on board. Like that time
1: yeah. would have been a
0: really interesting time to beat Geelong.
1: It was pretty exciting looking back. Um, you know, I was runner as well. Um, I remember I was pretty much probably the backline. When I say backline coach, I used to – go into meetings, look at footage of where the opposition kicked the ball into on a regular basis. So it was pretty basic stuff. Who would do the kicking in? And that was just to help set up our backline. And And um, I was still doing the welfare. So it was still that transition from being a part-time job to a full-time job. And like any clubs, I, I was basically volunteering to do that, volunteering to do runner. And then after four years, I think I got to the stage where I was just getting a bit... Um, disillusioned with the whole. You know what? I look back, and there was a time when Bomber. It was three quarter time of a game of footy, and we're five goals up. And as you found out, I'm a bit of a joker, and I'm having fun with trainers at, at half half time. And Bombers come in, we're up, and he's ripped into me for being like, "What are you fucking so happy about?" And you know, going on. And I went, whoa! And that was a moment where I think I realised I need a break from this game. It's it's it became it was becoming too serious. Was my mentality at the time? Yeah. And I know I was doing fairly well at the job, and um, could have, could have even looked towards being a football manager or something. But I just thought, nah. All the hours you give to someone else, why not go and do it for myself? So that's when I I took off and uh ran my own business up here in Shepherd, and I don't have any regrets. Like I'd love to go back now and pass on some knowledge, but I'll just be an old bloody noble now, I reckon.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, we never know. Richmond might take uh, take you on board. Oh there you with, go. Uh, the young in the system. Hey, before we get on to Tom and, and Millie, your daughter my yeah. AFLW. Um when the cats won their first flag in 07, yeah, you know, what were your emotions? And you know, it was a, a long time coming. Yeah. 40, 44 years being a past player, you were so close before playing in a couple of grand finals. You know, what was your emotions when the Cats got it done in 07?
1: Mate, I was there. I um so Joel Corey lived with me for about eight weeks before I found him somewhere um more permanent to live. And so we became pretty close. You know, in that role, and then even now, I still keep in touch with him. He's at Fremantle now, and fortunate enough, he um, he sort of made the two hundred games, and he always got a he always got an extra ticket. So he flung me that extra ticket to go and sit with all these us sorry us legendary past players who played two hundred games plus. Besides me, I'd go and sit with all these blokes at the MCG, and there's all these legends around me. But I was there for it and then was able to go back to Geelong. I didn't try and get in the rooms after it, but, you know, Bomber Thompson, young, not Bomber Thompson, Bomber Wojcicki took my number after me. So we had a pretty close bond as well. And I was, I got down to the fence as they're doing the lap at the end of the game and he spotted me and just come over and nearly dragged me over the fence. And it was, so I, I probably felt like I was a part of having relocated a lot of those guys. Yep. And um, yeah, being so close a few times personally, it was just, you know, it, it doesn't really hurt you anymore that you you lost them because that's in the past. But geez, it was exciting for that group and for Bomber because he had taught them how to win, how to be good people, um, how to hold yourself in any situation, and and play footy under pressure. And it, you know, I'd say Bomber's plan just all come to fruition really on on how he saw football for sure.
0: Yeah, unbelievable couple of years. That's for yeah. sure. Hey mate, do you still follow the Cats
1: with a strong interest? Yeah. Yeah, you do? Yeah, yeah, I do because the kids ended up barracking for them, all my, my four kids. Yep. Um. So I've got two daughters and then, yeah, two sons. They all barracked for them. And um, it's funny because once I finish, I, I sort of don't really barrack for anyone and my kids have said that to me. You don't really barrack for anyone, do you, Dad? And I said, well, I suppose once you played and I barracked for Carlton as a kid, it's funny. I, I have kept an eye on Carlton because I know the Dow family, Patty Dow and thompson Dows at Richmond. I know that family. Um, uh, there's a kid from Echuca, Kemp, who's gone there. So because you, you know people, I've sort of watched them a little bit, but no, you still keep an eye on the Catters, And um, I just like to test people out when they used to come into my shop and say, geez, your team went no good on the weekend. So I quickly think who's on top. And I just I'd just look at them and say, who? Sydney. And they'd look at me. Don't you go for John? No, 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 just because you play for them doesn't mean you have to bear it for them. And I'd be serious, deadpan, and let them walk out thinking, geez, that's a bit harsh, but that's the way I just, typical. there you go, it's just me making fun of things, really. Yeah. I love it.
0: Hey, mate, you must be <laughs> bloody proud. Your daughter Millie playing AFLW at the Cats. And then yeah. obviously his son, Tom, who got picked up in the top 20 in the draft last year with
1: the Tigers. Um, that's, yeah. that's exciting, mate. Yeah, it is. and. Um, you know, I've only sort of coached at junior level and pass on as much as I can. I've never I've never told my children what they need to do unless they ask. Um, I've always just been there because once they get, oh look, I've been around enough parents to doing that welfare role as well. So many parents have pushed their kids. Now some make it, some don't when they're pushed. And unfortunately, the ones that don't, there's a they put enough pressure on himself. so I've been pretty fortunate with my two that have made us, um that they've been self-driven and once they get to a higher level well then if they come and ask me a question I used to often say well what does your coach say and they say I haven't asked him I said well you go and ask him and if it's different I'll let you know whether I think he, he is right or not you know yeah. and um but that's often the case too sometimes is let them learn, they have to learn their own way because we can only keep guiding them um, and picking up the pieces when they do something wrong. But yeah, Millie, the, Millie, the father-daughter was, was a lovely moment being the first one down there. And yep, um, she was injured last year. She's sitting out this year, um, which you might have missed a bit there, Hilly, but that's okay because they haven't really said much about it. But she's sitting out this year, I think because of her injury also... Um the women's is tough like we can touch on that just for a second which we're hearing now a lot about especially ACLs and things but what's tough on the women what I see is that obviously the money isn't quite there for them so they have to find a job yeah and as I said before you know I was bringing all those blokes to trying to find them 22 to 25 hours a week of work then they've had to train then they had to live well there wasn't quite enough money in it I think for the girls to be able to say no to working and just concentrate on their footy because it's not quite professional yet so I think she's she's studying psychology so she's sitting out this year to concentrate on her studies um Geelong have kept her on the list so they obviously hold her in high regard enough not to lose her so after this year she has to make a decision whether to to play at Geelong or they let her go so And she'll, look, having a year off might be good for her too, having played footy since she's, you know, in grade prep. And as we know with some players, they walk away from the game citing mental illness because it's such a high-pressure field and um, high-pressure industry and enough pressure on themselves that sometimes it is difficult to... To accommodate everything, and I think that's probably part of the reason she's sitting out for a year. And she's only she turns 21 soon, so she's young enough to pick it up again if she wants to. Yeah, yeah, but so that's Millie, and yeah, Tom, mate. Um, something similar, he's always been you know going pretty well as a young kid, always done his own thing. Dad's always tried to coach him and tell him where he should be and position himself, but next thing. He's playing at centre, back, chopping the ball off as it comes through, and I'm trying to get him at the other end to win games, not stop games, and oh, funny stories. And in the end, you know, I only coached him through primary school and off he went after that, and he really developed. He, he snagged a scholarship at Geelong Grammar, yep. and I think that was a huge part of his development. Even though there wasn't much footy over the two years he was there, yeah. um, he grew a bit. Um, I think he real. I say this, that I think he realised when he's out there that he belongs there when he plays. I used to think he was so unselfish, not take the game on himself sort of opinion. He was always bringing others into the game. But, you know, recruiters can see that too. And he was, um, he was a pretty handy basketball player. So he's got those evasive and good vision skills. And Richmond was a surprise. Richmond didn't have much to do probably because of COVID things as well. I had a Zoom meeting with him and um, they sort of pulled him out of nowhere. We thought everyone thought he was going to go late 20s in the 30s. Like you said, the Cats even spoke to him. And if, uh, if he was around at 30s, they might have taken him. But um, Richmond snagged him and he's happy down there. Running laps like I was with Gary, he's running laps with Dusty and they're all yelling out Dusty's name, just like they yelled out Gazza's name in my day. Yeah, how good's that, hey? How good's <laughs> yeah. that? Is he enjoying it so yeah. far? Yeah, I think he said they started back yesterday. So, yeah, he got drafted Thursday, went down on the Sunday, um, went and bunked in with a coach for a few weeks. Him and another bloke jumped in with dinner for a, for a couple of weeks up until christmas and then now he's with a host family for a while and just got his license So he's he's starting to become a man and he's training is pretty tough and a lot to take in because as you know there's a lot there's a lot more coach feedback now hilly <laughs> and, nice and learning story. a lot of yeah so he's got a few coaches there and he'll learning a lot about the game too so he when we ring him he's often pretty knackered because of training but I'd say also the mental the mental um, absorbing all the information would be pretty tough. Yeah. yeah,
0: absolutely. Hey, Brandy, I've loved this chat, mate, and I could talk really? to you for hours. You're just that sort of person and that character, but I <laughs> am right, going to throw you just a couple of short ones, a couple of quick handballs to, uh, to finish no. off. I'm going to mention a few names and I want you to yeah. uh, give me a short sentence or a word to describe them. Righto. So, the first one's going to be the, uh, you know, the most famous one, Gary Ablett Sr.
1: Um. Oh, you know what? I get asked this so often because you're asking one word. Like a good politician, I keep talking as I'm thinking. Um, <laughs> mate, oh, I'm just a superstar. Um, yeah, I can't really say much more because he's the best I saw Um you know, I, I honestly think maybe we could have won a premiership if we had a Dunstall or someone like that because he brought more people into the game. But Gaz didn't need to. He, he could kick goals over his head if he wanted to. No one else in the team was allowed to do U-turns, but Gary Ablett was because he was Gary Ablett. Now, that sums it up. There you go. <laughs>
0: love it. What about his sidekick, Billy Brownless? Billy. Clown.
1: <laughs> love what it. you see is what you get. John Barnes. Barnsley, geez, he's he's Billy's sidekick. Barnsley, underrated, very underrated. Yeah. Buddha Hocking. Um, all right, so I called Gaz a superstar. Pound for pound Buddha is as good as they come. So um, he's still alive, but Buddha's oh, tough. Tough's the one, tough's one word. He played the whole of 1995 kicking on his left foot because he couldn't kick on his right because it hurt too much. Really? I don't know whether – yeah, I don't know whether – I haven't heard anything really said about that. Yeah, but he his knee was buggered. He'll end up having to get it replaced. But, yeah, he basically – if you go back and watch 95, his left foot was as good as his right, and he nearly won a brown loan. Pound for pound, he's probably as good as good as they come, Buddha.
0: Well, he went close a few times on brown loan. Yeah. But he wasn't
1: far off, Buddha. No, nah, he, he, as accumulating votes over so many games, he would have been right up there for a long time. I'd say he could even be, because he played quite a few years. He started when he was seventeen. Yeah. yeah, I remember one game. It must have been against the
0: Tigers, the MCG, and him and Paul Bullis had a little running. I reckon they banned been and on the screen, they've just zoomed in on Border, and he's just given Bullis the biggest mouth. Oh, I remember and, it. Yes, and pointing the finger at him too. It was yes. biggest, uh, mouthful. Would have loved to have uh, heard what he was saying.
1: Because his look in his face was he was going to actually murder him, wasn't he? It looked like he was going to kill him. Yeah. Hey, but then you go back to Buddha Bud slipping over on the footy show of that trailer and hang on to the hot dog. That's one of the best scenes of all time.
0: Anyway. I oh, love it. Last player I'll ask you about, Peter Icardi.
1: Oh, Rico. Um, silky, like smooth, smooth. Yeah, he was um, another underrated player who just week in, week out, Never said much, um, Blighty realised his worth when he, he was able to match it. Like pity he couldn't have had him in 89 or 92 and played because I think he swung Bersto on to, or Bairstow played on two North Street medals in Matera and Kemp. But if he could have had Rico for Matera because Matera and Rico had some great battles on the wing. So yeah, yeah, Rico Rico was just class. He was a class player. Yeah, Beautiful left foot kick, that's for sure. Yeah.
0: Hey mate, favorite game or memory? What's uh you know what's the one that's you know sticks out for you?
1: Yeah, that that final against Carlton, um was it a pre No, second semi, I think. Yeah, second Where, semi. Oh well. yeah, because yeah, we then played them in the granny, didn't we? Yeah. Um that was a that was a massive game because we've all rocked up everyone doom and gloom because our three best midfielders are out or three or whether was it was a Cowsville. You thought it might have been Mansfield, didn't you? Yeah, it might have yeah. been
0: Mansfield. Yeah.
1: Yeah, because Timmy Darcy came back in for Mansfield. Yeah. You know, three of our probably top – in our top ten players were out. and But to get up and win that game, um, that was pretty special. And, look, each grand final, even though you lose them, is pretty special because it's just you're the only team that everyone's focused on. The media, everything is all about your team. And even though you lose them, they're pretty special memories. And, yeah, and going back to the town all too long – Unfortunately, to people, if you lost one, you just you think back and think, "Wow, imagine if we'd won one." Oh, geez, yeah. I
0: remember going into back into Geelong and when we won oh seven, and oh, yeah. it was unbelievable. It was it was yeah. an unbelievable feeling, and I would have liked to have seen what it would have been like back. You know, when you guys are playing in ninety two, yeah. four or five. Hey, Brandy, who's the best character or characters you've come across? You know, like, um, yeah, so if I interview anyone from Geelong, they're probably going to say you because you're a, a very funny <laughs> man. No,
1: no, no. Uh, yeah, who's the best yeah. one
0: or two that you come across?
1: Well, Beersie from the early days and then Pickers. Liam Pickering was, Pickers is very good. He is very good at, and, um, and Pickers, God, if you ever get to talk to him, we, all, we are all amazed. There was a heap of us have caught up at Billy's pub a couple of months ago because we hadn't done it for a few years. We have a we have a 90s reunion where Timmy McGrath does a fair bit of organizing, Billy, Barry Stoneham, um, and we just we just ask past players now like Yates he was here's past players from any generation can really come. Mm. But um Pickers remembers everything. It's phenomenal. Him drinking his bloody Pepsi Max he loved his Pepsi Max and the darts, still smoking the darts, but he remembers everything. He's like an elephant, really is. <laughs> so he he was very good as well. But Busey, the character, mate, he's one of the stories I was going to tell you earlier. So Busey used to put, you know, the Malachalas boys. He'd, he'd stick a live chook in their locker, you know. He'd set things up. He'd do all sorts of things, Busey would. Anyway, one day, Barry Stoneham... Um, Went out to his car and his car wasn't there. It had been moved to another car spot. Anyway, Baza thought it was a bit weird, jumped in, we know Anyway, next train of night, Baza goes out. Here's the car parked on the you know other side of the car park, over near the cricket ground. <laughs> he, he'd wonder what was going on. Anyway, next time it's a crossover St Mary's Oval. Next time it's in between two trees where, you know, it takes so long to reverse it in and get it in there. Anyway, He'd come out one time and it wasn't there. So he's rang the cops. He's got a taxi home. He gets home and here's his car in his driveway. <laughs> now that was Andrew Buse. Busey got hold of his second spare key and Busey was injured. So while Busey's in the training room, we go out and move Baz's car, and that's one of the best stories that <laughs> best probably locker room stories, which always sticks in mind. So Busey was always up to tricks. I oh, oh, love it. The friction. little rats. Yeah. The little rats, yeah. I think that's why he's called the little rat. He's just a little mongrel. <laughs> oh, beautiful. And, mate, yeah. just, to fi-
0: just to finish off, what yeah. made the 1990s such a great decade to play footy in?
1: Free-flowing, Um, probably not as much structure. Yeah, and, you know, we always hear rule changes, which I'm not dead against. The, the powers of it to trying to improve the game, but it was just simpler. You know, that kick mark game was a lot simpler, whereas, you know, we, we learned a lot from other sports, and I think that's how footy evolved was soccer, basketball, keepings off, different coaches. They can change the rules. Coaches will work out how to get around them. But um, And I suppose being at Geelong, I was just fortunate to be at a club that was, you know, in the top three sides for, God, it feels like I was there 10 years, and it feels like we were up there They've still been up there. They've never bottomed out, really, have they?
0: Ah, do you reckon that's going to come at all? Like just with the way that our our demographic of our list is at the moment, is, can you see them bottoming out? Because everyone's saying, "Oh, yeah, you know, the cats—they're going to I fall." Know. They're going to fall, but they've been saying that for the last five or six years. Yeah,
1: and then you know, little Stephen Wells—they're very smart, in aren't they? In, in just bringing in a few kids, and I think that's where Bomber was really good too, and whether Chris Scott's the same is it's just giving them, that, giving them enough games to get some experience. And, you know, we did we did lose a few players there, didn't we, through the late 2000s that were probably good enough and went to other clubs and played well, but that's what happens also. And yeah. um, I don't know, I'd like to, you know, it'd be interesting to see how long it takes. I reckon I, don't, I can't see them bottoming out. You know, yeah, a few of those blokes are going to move on, but um, look, I suppose they, they might go middle of the rung for a while, but I think... Geelong's good to attract players. Like, um, you know, players go to Sydney for anonymity a little bit. You know, Buddy went up there, Lockett went up there. There was talk of Dusty going up there, which I doubt. But you never know. Players can get sick of being in the limelight and it's not a bad gig. Whereas Geelong, having that country feel probably is a is a nice psychological advantage for Geelong, I think. And, they, and they're so professionally run, like Brian Cook. When I was there, I reckon in the first year, in the first two years, he turned over 75% of the staff and got rid of so many. It was just football was just the old job for boys back in the day. and Yeah. Uh, he he brought in, him and Brian, him and Frank Costa turned it into a business. Yeah. I tell you what, so
0: I'd tell love to see a couple of statues for those two guys at Geelong. I think yeah. um, when you look back and you speak about the, the late 90s when, you know, we were nearly in our ass in debt. Um, yeah. Two yes. Players pretty well singly saved our footy
1: club that's for sure yeah well that's you know that's the thing that not a lot of people see is you know the social club was a separate entity to the football club Mm. and brian cook came in and and it took a couple of years to amalgamate all that and then yeah raise money as a business and not the social club doing their thing and raising money that was that and that was of course old-fashioned pre-90s yeah Tickets. Hey, Ronnie, Bur- Ronnie Burns would walk into the marketing boat and want 40 tickets. No worries, mate. There you go. Well, now, I've got... <laughs> imagine that now. That's 40, 40 times friggin' 75 to 100 bucks each. There you go. You do the sun, silly. <laughs> it's a well run, well oiled
0: machine down there in Geelong. That's it. Hey, mate, I have really uh, love this chat. Really appreciate you sharing some time and reflections at your time at Geelong, Bernie. It, uh, it's been fantastic. Well, Well, that's just the end of podcast number three. A big thank you for listening once again. If you've missed any previous episodes, you can jump onto Spotify, Google Podcasts and Apple Podcasts and catch up with previous editions of the 90s Club Footy Podcast. You can follow us on all of our social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Next week, we have a big guest. He was a premiership coach with an interstate side as well as playing over 350 games with two clubs in the 1990s. Until then, we'll see you next week on the 90s Club Footy Podcast.